Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia, and I am so glad you're here. I am a 20-something in my early 20s, and I was going through my fair share of shit show moments, and I'm sure there's more shit show moments to come. So much fun. But it's while I was going through these moments, I was realizing I'm probably not the only 20-something who feels this way. So I decided to start this podcast back in 2020, and it's been incredible. And I love interviewing these inspiring people. And I hope that through these stories, you're able to see yourself in these stories. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. I put so much time and energy into this podcast and it would mean the world to me. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's guest is Travis. I enjoyed talking with him. Travis has spent the last three decades enhancing his entrepreneurial skills. Throughout the years, he has been proud to invent and found Hydroflask, work as a business broker, fly as an airline pilot, is an active professional speaker, and started the Tomolo Group, which provides sourcing, advising, and consulting. His clients include various industries, celebrities, individuals, and even countries. He not only shares his tradecraft with others, but also practices it in many startups that he is currently involved in. In this episode, we go into so many incredible things from what gave him the idea to start Hydroflask, the ups and downs that come with running a business, as well as did he know that Hydroflask had this opportunity to become this billion dollar brand and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. Well, thank you so much, Travis, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. So I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments you might resonate with. Let's start there. <laughs> you just like this going to therapy session. Yeah, my 20s. Gosh, I started my 20s in, I think I woke up probably in... Oh, you know what? I was in Australia when I turned 20. I I was 19 when I moved to Australia and I woke up in Airlie Beach in a hostel with these beautiful Swedish twins and their companion friend. There was four of us in one room with two bunk beds. And that's how I started my 20s in Australia. And then 21, I was in Scotland I woke up in Scotland on my 21st and then, gosh, I, I should have done my homework and kind of like figured out where I was every year up until my 30th birthday and where I was when I was 30. Yeah, I, I did a lot of scuba diving, a lot of boat captaining, a lot of flying airplanes in my 20s. That's pretty much what I did. I traveled and I just hustled, mainly as a waterman, anything that I could do around the water scuba diving, boat captaining, parasailing. I worked for a helicopter company that flew out to the Great Barrier Reef and we did like private tours. A lot of debauchery, lots and lots of alcohol, lots and lots of debauchery, lots of, shall I say, female companions all around the place. That's kind of what I think of when I think about my 20s. Well, and I'm wondering if you had to narrow it down to like one moment that was like a major growth moment for you and the moment it probably sucked that you would like narrow down to be like your shit show moment of your 20s. What do you think that moment would be for you? Oh, wow. Yeah. 
if I can narrow it down. Okay, I will rem- I do remember in my 20s and I remember being in Australia and there's this beautiful beautiful girl, you know, I, I say girl cuz she was probably 21 or 19 or 20 and she was just gorgeous. I just I had this biggest crush on her and we worked together out on this island and but I but I never I was always trying to like play it cool and I tried not to like, you know, like show my hand like that I'm interested. And after a few weeks of this, I saw her out at a club one night and I was completely drunk and she was completely drunk. She comes up to me and she had like missing teeth and like, like I'd never seen her smile. And I realized why I'd never seen her smile. And, and she smoked and I was like, you know what? I, I think I changed my mind on this. I, I think I want to go a different route. And and I remember that being kind of like a pivotal point because I was like, and I don't know why, and I don't know that I can articulate it very well, but I kind of remember thinking like, I need to shift my perspective and I need to get to know somebody a little bit more before I become infatuated with them. I don't know, but just debauchery. I mean, how many mornings I woke up and I didn't know where I was. I didn't know who was next to me. I didn't know. You know, I, sometimes I'd wake up and I don't even know what country I'm in. You know, I'm like, fuck, where am I? Oh, I'm just passing through on my way to the next town or village or whatever. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, what was like, okay, so like, what was like the evolution from like doing that, going from country to country, coming back to the U.S.? like starting your company here? Like what was like the evolution? Like how'd that happen? Was that in your twenties or did that happen in your thirties or how'd that Um, happen? So I started in my thirties. Well, so I became a a pilot in January in April. I started flying April, 2001. And, and after that, so I was born in 78, 79, 80. So that's how old is that? (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) I should have done my homework here. Uh, so 2001 minus 1978 put me at 23. So I started flying at 23. Okay, so four, seven, eight. So I had uh, bend fencing when I was 30. So I was living in Bend, Oregon and started a fence company when I was 30. And I remember I had a girlfriend who was seven years older than me. And so she was always kind of like the adult, you know, like she taught me how to be proper and how to dress nice and how to have manners in public and, and, you know, how to, how to behave and things like that. She was always, you know, like kind of not a mother figure, that'd be odd, but some Freudian shit there, I'm sure. But she, she kind of like taught me about you know, paying bills and living in a proper house with carpet and how to, you know, like, cause I always lived in the, in the tropics or I lived all over the planet, just kind of barefoot and in my backpack up until my thirties. And, you know, I had worked for the airlines and I had a proper job in Florida where I was flying corporate jets. And of course I had to be proper for that, but it wasn't really until my thirties that I kind of started slowing that down and, and taking my life a little bit more seriously, but also knowing that I had that good concrete foundation of my twenties underneath of me. And I'd, and I really appreciated the twenties and I still do because I feel like I'm less at risk for a midlife crisis now. Like I'm not going to run off with my, not that I have a secretary, but I'm not going to run off with my secretary, go get a motorcycle and, and pierce my ears and get tattooed. Like I'm already tattooed. I've already been with the secretary. I've already owned the motorcycles. Like I've already run off to the far side of the world. 
So I, I feel more grounded in my 40s now. Now I'm 43. I feel more stable and I don't have the longing to go out and go get stupid. I don't have any interest or desire to go get drunk on the weekends or go to go do anything silly. Mm. Well, so that's an interesting point that you brought up of really getting that all out of your system on your 20s and being able to really go forward from there. And so you started the fencing company. I'm curious, like, have you always had this part of you that's always like starting companies or like where did that kind of start for you? Or you, did you always, were you always thinking like, I'm able to start this company, I'm able to do this? Or were you, was there a shift for you of like, I'm starting to think this way, I'm starting to think business minded? Well, I started finding business when I was about 12. My neighbor died, our neighbor died, my family's house. And he left the house to be an estate sale. He, he had, so his sister asked my mom to do the estate sale. His sister said I could have anything in the house. I saw the bookshelf and I was like, I want the, I want that. I don't know what it is. I don't know what those books mean or what they are or what the titles even are, but there was something about the bookshelf that was like a magnet. It drew me in the lights lit up and the angels were singing and the harps were playing. And I was like, I want that bookshelf. I got the bookshelf and it was business. Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, negotiations, sales, marketing, financing, stuff like that. And I just was smitten. I was absolutely taken by business at about the age of 12. I met my dad when I was 14 down in St. Croix, US Virgin Islands. He had a dive shop. So I was able to see sort of like, what do the pirates of the Caribbean do to run businesses versus what does Brian Tracy out of California do? Or he's really from Canada, but living in, in LA. Like, what does Brian Tracy do versus what my dad does? And how can I help my dad and the business do better from what I've learned up in the States and from those books? And yet, what can I take from real world hands-on living in a dive shop for a lot of my life and that world and that business and what can I take from that out into the rest of my life with me? And it's not all, you know, like the books can't t teach you everything. The MBA can't teach you, those programs can't teach you real world stuff. You have to go out into the real world to get it. And so I always kind of had that with me. And then throughout my life, I, I just did cool shit that I wanted to do. Like I always, I always say like, I do the Travis thing. Well, what's that? Just whatever I'm doing, whatever I want to do, whatever I'm doing right now. And whether it was a boat captain or a dive instructor or just traveling, like I just do the Travis thing. And then one day I was sitting there drinking some wine with my girlfriend and some dude shows up in the backyard and I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm building a fence. I'm like, okay, cool. What does that mean? And I, he showed me what it means to build fences. Next thing I know, two weeks later, we're building fences for the subdivisions that are going in all over Bend. And that was the Travis thing was doing fences. Got tired of that, moved to Hawaii and did the Travis thing out in Hawaii, doing signs and screen printing and banners and like in a, in a like marketing agency kind of. You know, and then I got thirsty and needed a water bottle. They didn't have water bottles. All right. Well, Travis is doing water bottles now and did that. So the other thing I think about in my twenties is that like, there's a, there's a saying that says like, you're, you're old enough to know better, but still too young to care. And like, I think that people forgive you more in your twenties than 
when you get older, cause like, uh, you know, like you, you're probably old enough. You should have known better than to have done that, but you're still young. It's okay. We forgive you. So I think you can get away with a lot more shit in your twenties and you can experiment and experience more of life in general, where you're in your thirties or forties. People are like, no, you can't do that. Are you serious? Like you can get arrested for that. But in your twenties, they give you a little bit more of a pass, but you got to realize that that stops about your thirties, you know, or at some point that's so interesting so like you it sounds like you're very in tune with your intuition it sounds like you're very in tune with just like this creativity and like just like hey like you know that looks interesting i'm gonna go try that or hey this looks interesting and it's very interesting to hear like how you're able to kind of like just pull from different things i'm wondering like how have you like harnessed that creativity like how have you been able to magnify that or have you always had that in you? Or have you found ways to really strengthen that creativity? That's a great question. I think that the creativity and the intuition, and then I also hear curiosity. I think curiosity also is a trifecta there as well. And I think listening to the intuition, the more and more you listen to your intuition, and I think that men have intuition just as much as women. I think that women are smarter in the sense than men that they listen to their intuition. So it's women's intuition. Well, men have it also. They're just too bullheaded or stupid or knuckleheaded to listen to it and to act upon it. And so I think that the intuition, listening to your intuition and and seeing what happens when you listen to it and and using that as a guiding post or guiding stone or whatever the term is for your life can be really beneficial. Because if your intuition says no and you do it anyway and you get hurt, you're like, damn, yeah, I should have listened. But if it says, yeah, go do it and you go do it and it's awesome and you're like, fuck yeah, I'm going to do that more. And and it's it's like a muscle. It strengthens. The more you listen to it, the more you follow it. I think curiosity has always been good for me and and big in me because I don't know what I don't know and I don't mind asking. I'll be the first to pull over to ask for directions. I'm not some dude who's going to be driving around because I'm so cool. I know I can find my way. I'm not wasting gas. I'm not wasting time. I'm not wasting energy. I'm going to pull over at the gas station and ask directions. You know, now we have phones, of course, but proverbially. (laughs) So yeah, I think that the other thing, like I... I never really went to college. I didn't really finish. I never finished any degrees. And so knowing that I didn't know as much about business, I mean, I owned a multinational million dollar plus business and I really didn't know much about business. And so I had to learn. And so I just would ask questions and I don't mind being the dumbest person in the room, but if I know that there's smarter people than myself in the room, I'm going to ask them a tremendous amount of questions. And the next time we come back into this room, I'm going to be maybe hopefully at least the second dumbest and not the dumbest in the room. And I'm going to step up a notch you know? And, and then it goes back to, I'm sorry, I did not know that I could not do that. You know, like Faye ignorant and the younger you are, the easier it is to Faye ignorant too. Like nobody ever taught me that. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that that was the law or the rule, or that was the way it was supposed to go. I did not read the contract. I did not learn that in school. Sorry. So that was something that like, it's easier when you're in your twenties and thirties than when you're in your forties and and older. It's like, nah, man, you should know that by now. Come on. (laughs) I love that. Cause how much like time we could save ourselves if we like just drop our ego and just ask someone for help. 
Oh, totally. <laughs> just, totally. totally. We could just get the shortcut versus yeah. needing to figure it all out on ourselves. Yeah, I, I'm not looking to reinvent the wheel. I just want to elongate the role, you know? Yeah. And I'm curious. I have to know the story. How did Hydroflask come together? Like, how did that idea come to you? How soon did you start acting upon it? Like, how did that all evolve for you? Well, I'm not a religious person. I'm not dogmatic. I don't follow any dogmatic principles or, or doctrines or anything. But it almost was like a higher calling. Like, it did really just sort of hit came out my mouth and then things just started to transpire for me. Like as difficult as everything was and has been most of my life, I've had a hard life, but things started working for me and and for Hydroflask. Like little things would like just kind of pop up. I need an answer. I don't have any idea. Like there's no way I can do this. Boom, here's your answer. Oh no shit, really? Okay, cool. And then it, I would get hit with this int- incredibly difficult situation, but then there would be an answer to it or somebody would show up and say, well, here's the door, just go out the door. I'm like, oh, okay, I like that. And I was thirsty. And they didn't have water bottles on the shelf at the sporting goods store that I was at to buy a water bottle. And the guy said there was nobody else doing it. So it just came out like, I will, I will do that. And I did a little bit of market research. I found that there were two other bottle companies that were doing single wall. One was aluminum. They had BPA. They were lying. They were rude to their customers. I was a customer. They were rude to me. I didn't like that. That gave me a little bit of like, can I say, fuck you, watch this, you know, like you're going to be rude to me. I'm going to start a company that has good customer service and we're going to be nice to our people. And we're going to give out nice things to nice people. Fuck you. And sure enough, they're out of business now because they weren't nice. They lied to their, to their followers. The other company was single wall and it didn't really work and I didn't really like it. And I figured I could make it you know, at least more ergonomically beneficial to getting water actually inside of my mouth and on my shirt. And, and then we, I just like my girlfriend at the time, we just sold everything we owned to put into that first order. We ordered 3000 come to find out we spent some of the money. We can afford 3000. So we negotiated 1500, those 1500 sold like just stupid quick within a couple weeks. And we got the second 1500. They were sold before they got here. We started picking up sales reps and the sales reps were just killing it. They were doing so well. And we ordered 20,000 and those were pretty much sold by the time they got here. We ordered 40,000 and uh, those were rusted and not insulated. My partner ran off. Our one employee stole our money. Like it just, but it just kept going. Like it just kept growing on its own with, with a lot of input from a lot of good people, but it took on a life of its own pretty darn quick. Wow. And like going back to like selling everything that didn't scare you at all. Like we're going to sell everything. We're going to put everything we have into this water bottle. We're going to help, you know, it works. Like, cause I'm sure at the beginning there has to be some scarcity of like, what if we just sold everything and this doesn't sell? Well, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm big on burning my bridges and if I'm off to go do the next adventure, I don't need any of the gear from the last adventure necessarily. You know, it's like, I don't really need that cutlery. I need bottles because bottles will eventually make me money where I can eventually buy new cutlery or at least was the thought. And yeah, it was, it was scary, but at the same time, 
I had a pretty good sense that it was going to work, that they were, you know, we had samples at that point and we showed, you know, 90% of Oahu got to see them on a photo shoot or, I mean, that's hyperbole, but a lot, but I mean, we showed a lot of people the samples and they were stoked. And I figured worst case scenario, we sell the 3000 for $10, double the price and we'll make, you know, we'll make that money back and we'll, we'll be able to buy new clothes later. Or I just go back to the far side of the world and I live in a $15 a night hostel in Sydney and I'm, and I'm stoked. I go find a new job in Sydney or something. I find this so interesting. Cause I feel like that's like a part where like a lot of scarcity could come up and you're like, no, like worst case scenario, I'll figure it out. Like I've figured it out before. Like I can always go stay at a hostel. Like it's going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, I've lived out of my backpack for years on end traveling around the world and all I own is what I have on my back. And if I'm you know, I may have a dive bag with my dive gear in it to make money. Like as long as I have my skills and my mind and my, you know, my experience, like you can't take shit from me if I have, you know, there's nothing you can take from me that I can't start over new with. You, you can take all my money. You can take everything I have. And I've had my money stolen multiple times. I've made millions of dollars that people have stole from me, but it's okay. Cause I have the blueprint and I know how to make it back. I know how to keep going and I know how to survive. It's all part of the adventure, you know, and without kids and without a mortgage and without a lot of payments, without a lot of monthly necessity to pay bills and to take care of, you know, small people or animals like why not? You know, like that's the time in the twenties is, is, is the time to go do that. Cause when you're in your thirties and forties and you get married and you have kids and you got a mortgage and you've got Karen in the cubicle telling you, you can't listen to your music. Uh, I don't know. Like that's the time to go and crawl in a hole and die. But early <laughs> on, like, man, you got to go out and just live. Yeah. Hmm. When, when did you start hydroplast? Uh, so the idea came about 2017. I think we registered in 2018 in Oahu and then maybe 2018, 2019. Oh no, no, not, not 18, eight, 2000. So 2007, the idea came 2008. I think we registered in Hawaii. 2009, we registered in Oregon. Nice. I'm wondering. You probably like, weren't even born in 08, were you? I was, I was born, at, well, I was born in 2000, so I'm 21. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was born then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but like, when other people start copying your product, because I assume by now, like, everyone's kind of done something similar to you. Has it ever bothered you? Has it ever, like, have you ever seen other ones do it and you kind of get, like, mad inside about, like, that's my product? I'm curious, like, what thoughts for you come up when you see someone do something similar? It's a mixed emotion that comes up. The very first time that we had anybody knock us off was our screen printer who was doing our t-shirts and screen printing bottles. And it was kind of a convoluted route that I took to find out that he was knocking us off, but he started out stealing our bottles and giving them away with his branding on them. And then he took a bottle that he stole and he sent it to China, had it cut open, reverse engineered and, and found a way to make it. And yeah, he and I had strong words on that. I mean, like it was like, you know, don't come around here no more type thing. But after that, I realized that people are drinking more water 
and there's less plastic in the oceans. So yeah, it was, it was a bummer on the one hand that he was stealing money from us. Like that sucked. He was doing a dishonest thing that sucked, but everybody he sold to was not buying single use plastic. That's awesome. The people he's selling to are staying hydrated and they're living a better life because of it. That's awesome. So it was like this bittersweet symphony of emotions that were, was going on. And then, yeah, the first outdoor retail show we went to, we were the only ones doing double wall vacuum insulated stainless steel water bottles. The second one we went to, there was a few. The third one we went to, so like one year later, there was something like 20 bottle companies or something stupid. Like all these people were knocking us off. And that was a bummer in the early days because I didn't know who had a ton of money to put us out, you know, and it would have been easy to be like just completely bulldoze right through us because we did not have the shelf space at that point. One of the ones that I really remember that stands out the second outdoor retail show. So six months, so it's probably about eight months after we launched second one, I'm in the booth and I, I get this feeling like, Oh, there's a predator here. And I look over just in time to see somebody grab the bottle and walk away with it. It's like stole one of the bottles. And I, and I left, I got him and I grabbed him. I turned him around and his badge said president of Stanley. I said, you're the CEO of Stanley and you're still in my bottle. He goes, yeah, I want it. I said, what do you want it for? He says, well, I want to do insulated bottles. I said, well, you go do insulated bottles, but you don't steal mine. He goes, well, I want this. I said, you can't have it. And I took it from him. And he goes, well, I'm just going to go buy one, cut it open, reverse engineer it and put you out of business. I said, nah, you're always going to be Stanley. Nobody's going to buy a Stanley. They're always going to buy Hydroplast, which is so ironic because I'm actually drinking out of a Stanley right now. But, you know, that was scary because here's Stanley telling me that they're going to put me out of business. And I was thinking like, dang, like it's all over. Everything's for naught. Another scary thing I remember was when Clean Canteen came into the double wall vacuum insulated stainless steel water bottle market. I was in Shanghai and I got a, like a fax that said, Hey, clean canteens doing stainless steel. And I thought, fuck, it's all over. It's done. Like there's no reason for me to continue. They're going to put us out of business. They've got money. We don't, they've got shelf space. We don't like we're done. And then I got a picture like a couple hours later of what their bottle looked like. And I was like, Oh no, we're good. We're good. Nah, uh, this is great. This is awesome because now I realize that they're going to put their marketing dollars into teaching the world that they need an insulated bottle. And so I let them spend their marketing money for us because we have the superior product. So it's all a perspective, I guess, long way of saying. And did you ever have a moment within there of like, maybe I should just like let go of this idea? Like, did you ever have a moment of wanting to let go of Hydroflask? All the time, all the time. When it got hard and like, it got really difficult because we were doing so well that we had to keep buying more products and we had to keep coming up with new creative ways to make the money to, you know, buy the products. And we had to pay the employees and we had to pay the warehouse lease and we had to, I mean, there was so much money going out that, you know, to take a $5 water bottle and sell it for $25, which is how much they were back then. It was like, oh yeah, that's plenty of profit. Oh yeah, we're going to be rich and famous. Not really, but you know, it seemed like enough. And yet by the time you pay out everything that needs to be paid out, it was like, dang, you know, my garbage can got repossessed because 
we couldn't pay the garbage bill. And there were multiple times where I just wanted to get on my motorcycle and just ride off into the sunset. And I would try to, and something would happen. Like my, my boots were in getting the zipper fixed one time, or my passport was at the visa agency. And so I didn't have my passport. So I, I couldn't go down to South America because I just wanted to go run away and be done with everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I'm like imagining you running away. <laughs> well, then my partner would actually physically leave. Like when it would get hard, she'd just leave to Hawaii or wherever she'd go wow. and she'd be done. And it would be like, oh, fuck. Like now I'm on my own. Somebody's got to put these bottles out. Like somebody's got to do work. And so I, you know, I never did get a chance to run away. <laughs> <laughs> You're still here. <laughs> yeah, still here. <laughs> oh no and like at the beginning if someone would have told you like this is going to be like a billion dollar brand like this is going to be like the water bottle that everyone's going to want would you believe them or did you have that vision from the beginning or when did it start I did. yeah, yeah. I, it, it you know and I, I i don't like it's not an egotistical thing it's not a conceited thing it's just that was what the vision was like it was always baked into the dna that this is the water bottle you know, there can only really be one hydro flask and this is the hydro flask. And from henceforth, this is what it is. Everybody else is going to be doing double wall vacuum insulated water bottles as well, but it, it, it'll never compare. It'll never be hydro flask. Yeah. In fact, which is ironic because two people who were there with us, my partner and then another woman who was a, one of the early employees, they both years later told me, who would have ever thought that our little water bottle company would have been like this? And I, and I told him, I said, I did. The fact that you did not is the reason why you were not with us at the either now or at the end. The fact that you bolted early was because you did not see what I saw, even though I told you I saw what I saw. And so, yeah, I mean, again, not to be egotistical, but when the vision came, it was, this is it. Like this is Speedo, Q-Tip, Kleenex, you know, hydro flask. We don't say water bottles. This is not a water bottle. This is a hydro flask. And the whole world said, okay, it's a hydro flask. Mm. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, when you have that moment of you're like, your trash is being repossessed or, you know, like moments like that, like where it kind of like throws you off. How are you able to stay connected to that vision when something goes and just like bulldozes, like yeah. in the middle of that vision? I'm curious, like, did you, how were you able to like stay present with like, it's happening. It might not like look like it right now, but I know it's going to happen. Yeah, I think... Uh, part of it was as we grew the employee base and I had lives that depended upon me to make it happen. It made it where I, I never was doing it for me. I never did it for the money. I never did it for the fame or success or anything that would ever or has ever come from that. I did it because I wanted a really cool water bottle. I wanted to save the plastic from the oceans and I wanted other people to drink out of this really cool water bottle. And so when we started getting employees and it was like, okay, they're paying their mortgages with the money that I pay them. I'm signing their mortgage, their livelihood. They're buying groceries. Their kids are buying clothes for school and they're paying the daycare with the money I pay them. Like I got to stay, I got to keep going. And then the other thing that was huge was the customer feedback. People had been drinking 44 ounce Big Gulp Pepsi before and now they're drinking water out of a bottle at their desk and they're feeling better. They're losing weight. Their skin's clearing up. Their spouses are finding them more attractive. 
our, we had a banker who was like, not only is, does my husband find me more attractive, but I got the upgrade position. I'm going to go work in the, that corner desk now. You know, it's like, I, I got to keep cranking out water bottles so people keep feeling good about themselves and better and better about themselves because they were either drinking coffee out of a styrofoam cup or they were drinking Pepsi or Mountain Dew out of a styrofoam cup or they weren't really drinking anything throughout the day. And all of a sudden they're being hydrated and they're, they're feeling better and the feedback, it was just awesome. You know, I'd have people who are like, oh yeah, we went up Everest and we had water at the top, top of Everest first time ever. It didn't freeze. Thank you. It's like, oh shit. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> How cool is that? That's so cool. That's so cool that it's water, but you don't think about all the effects in terms of like our health, in terms of like everything that really has the ripple effect on. You think of it as just water, but you don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, out on an expedition where you, before it was plastic Nalgene and it, they would freeze or you could wrap them in tin foil and you could wrap them in socks and clothes and put them in the bottom of your backpack. But then if you're going to really dig for it, you really got to dig for it. So it's not convenient to dig for it. But if you want it to not freeze, that's what you do. Or you take with you an 850 pound thermos made by Stanley or whomever. Fuck Stanley. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. And so it just wasn't feasible. So to be able to get to Everest and not have a block of ice, but actually have water. Awesome. For me to get back in from surfing on the North shore and not have hot tea that I is boiling hot that burns my tongue, but to have palatable, lukewarm water or chilly water, even awesome. I love that. And it did, it, it changed the way that people drank and then what they drank, which was even better because it was a lot more focus on, on water. Do you think different from Hydroflask to other brands who tried to launch a similar product, tried to do the same thing you guys are doing? What do you think was the difference between it working and it not working? Well, I think that everyone is different. Um, you know, so I, I don't know that I can like give a blanket answer to that. But I will say some of the things that I've seen, I've, I've met a lot of people over the years that have started water bottle companies. And, and a lot of them come to me and say, hey, I have this idea for a water bottle company or I own a brand and here's what we do. Some of the big things I've seen is that people who do it for money don't ever really do very well. People who say, oh, I can buy it for $5 and sell it for $50 and I'll make $45. I'm going to be wealthy within six months. Watch. Yep. Nope. That doesn't really work. Or if it does, they lose it all in the end for whatever reason, you know, they missed, they missed a step. And so therefore they lose it all. And, or the customer can just smell it and feel it that now nah, you're not really doing this for me or for us, you're doing it for you. And I don't appreciate that. Another thing that I found is that there's really no difference to their products. I, I talked to one person who had a, a water bottle company and it was a Hydrofoss knockoff. It was the same shape. It was the same size. It was the same powder coating. And I asked her, I'm like, what's different? Like, what are you going for? She's like, well, I have a Hawaiian sounding name on the bottle. I'm like, okay, so what's the difference? Oh, well, see, I, instead of screen printing my logo, I, I've, I've laser engraved it. I'm like, yeah, okay, what else? Oh, well, the cap is made out of bamboo and not, and it's metal instead of plastic. I'm like, yeah, you know, and sure enough, like now she's a, a realtor and, and which is good because that's, she probably didn't need to be starting a, a water bottle company, but that's another one is that there's really no differentiation.
That's such an interesting point you brought up about if they do it only for money, it usually fails. I, I found that in a lot of different segments because I, I do a lot of podcasts. And so I listen to a lot of podcasts and I read a lot of books and, you know, how I built this or whatever with Guy Raz. And the, the ones who really succeed didn't necessarily think about the money until all of a sudden, oh, wait, there's money also? Oh, that's even better. Cool. I didn't think there'd be money. And I also want to give the caveat that you want to make sure that you're covered. Like it's not good to suffer. It's not nice having your garbage cans repossessed. It's not nice thinking that you're not going to pay rent tomorrow or next week or next month. You need to have some security and some stability. And it's good to put it all out there, but not all of it. Come on. I, I did a lot of yoga afterwards and, and one of the, you know, yogis, guru guys, he said, you know, somebody asked him about, you know, what's it, how do you, how do you do yoga and still make money? Like you're making all this money. Like how do you justify that? Because you're supposed to be this yogi who doesn't have anything. He said, last night, if I slept on a park bench outside, how do you think I would teach today? He said, but instead, last night I slept on a comfortable mattress. I have beautiful sheets and a beautiful home with a beautiful wife. I woke up to a beautiful breakfast and here I am giving you beautiful knowledge. It's like, oh, yeah, no shit. Like you need money. So there's nothing sexy or glamorous about being homeless running a company. You got to be smart about it. But at the same time, if you make it your only reason why, people are going to smell it and feel it feel it and they're going to want to stay away from it and it's going to have an adverse effect. So it's a balance really. And what are some mistakes you think people make when they're building a brand or things they don't think of that's really important in building a brand at the beginning? I just thought of Stanley thinking that they were just going to cut the bottle open and put us out of business. They did not have what we had. And what we had was honesty. We had a sense of community. We had good people doing good things for the right reasons. And we didn't have a, you know, fuck you, I'm putting you out of business and I'm going to make all the money for myself. And so I, I think that nowadays, especially, and this is not just 22, I would say in the last probably three to five years, especially, Americans want to hear Americans doing good business and, and why. Why do you have this business? Who is who is you? Who is your brand? Who is your business? Why are you doing this? Because there's so many fake other country knockoffs out there that are stealing our intellectual property. They're stealing our business. They're stealing our brands. They're stealing money from us. They're stealing our way of life from us. And so Americans are waking up. We've, we've woken up. Up and we're waking up to the fact that we don't want to give those nameless factories in other countries money to steal. We want to give good, hardworking, honest American neighbors of ours money. And so I, I think that, you know, hiding behind the logo is something that has come up quite a bit lately where these big corporations, these big brands, there's a water bottle that I'm thinking of very near and dear to my heart that is now just hiding behind the logo. You go to their website, they don't talk about the founder. They don't talk about any of that because they're a corporation now. And what do corporations do? They try to make as much money as they possibly can for their shareholders. And that's another thing that we're starting to wake up to is, do we want to give our money to the big corporations and big pharma and these big, 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 big fat cats that sit on the top of the hill? Or do we want to give it to mom and pop local companies 
companies that are near and dear to our communities. And I, I think that that's kind of one of the big great awakenings that this country is going through right now. And I fucking love it because we need to support our local neighbors instead of giving the money to other countries and other syndicates and crime families and things like that. I'll get off my, my soapbox. Yeah. I went on a little tangent there. I'm sorry. A little no, it's good. It's good. It's a good point. And we're at a critical time in America's history. And, and, and if we're not careful, we're going to lose this country to the bad guys. And I don't want that to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that we've won. I think that we're just kind of cleaning up in the back. And as soon as we're done cleaning up in the back, we'll show everybody in the front what we did later. But we need to make some changes. And we can't keep pouring our intellectual property to other countries to, for them to steal it. We can't give, you know, 20 dollars for a pair of plastic sunglasses to any other country we need to give 50 dollars to an american company doing that yeah yeah and i'm wondering what are some mistakes that you've made in business like what are some of like if you had to narrow down to like the top five mistakes that you made that you know now that you wish you could have not done what would those five be or like less than five or however many you're thinking of i try not to hold on to like what i did wrong i try to like if i do something wrong i'll be the first to admit it i'll uh, i hopefully am one of the first to acknowledge or, or recognize like oh shit definitely should not ever do that ever again okay well what are we gonna do next time uh opposite and so i try to just remember the opposite of what i did because if i put a lot of energy towards what i did wrong then my wheels spin on wrong oh i i chose left damn it i'm gonna be holding the left energy for years to come if i think okay i, I went left but next time i need to go right i'll hold the right energy and and then I'll hold right for future. And then in the future, when it comes to it, I know I turn right. I do not turn left. I don't necessarily remember that I turned left before. I can't necessarily articulate why not to turn left. But if you really sat me down and asked, I could tell you, you know, here's why we don't turn left. I'll be more apt to tell you all of the beneficial things that come from turning right. I think that one thing that I would have um, liked to have had would be a mentor. I would have loved to have had somebody who had gone through something similar to what I was going through. Somebody who had grown a business from a one car garage to multiple millions of dollar international brand. It would have been nice to have had a friend to talk to. It would have been nice to have had somebody there with me when I was exiting, who was really on my side. I picked the best team I could, but I didn't pick a very good team. And so it would have been nice to have been more conscious of who's with me and why are they here? Because afterwards, after the exit, everybody's here. Everybody shows up. Everybody comes out of the woodwork. Everybody says they were here with you since day one. And it's all bullshit because there's nobody with you when it gets hard. There's nobody going to help you. There's nobody going to help pick you up. You're on your own. You fall down. You got to get yourself back up. And if you think somebody's going to come along, you're not ever going to get back up. So it would have been nice to have had somebody who I could just be like, hey man, I'm down. Yeah, well, get yourself up, Travis, because I'm not going to fly in and pick you up, asshole. Do it yourself. Okay. You know, like that would have been cool. Wow. And what are some elements you think that makes like a good mentor? I think that they have to have experience similar and they have to have wisdom. They have to have knowledge. They have to have 
confidence in themselves. They have to be able to, you know, relate to the situation that you're in. They have to be your devil's advocate. They, you can't just surround yourself with yes men. Yes men are, are a scourge of, you know, a lot of businesses and, and people and politicians and, and celebrities and, and athletes, a lot of athletes, a lot of performers and, and, you know, mega superstars surround themselves with yes men, people who just love them and tell them everything that they do is great and wonderful and that they can do no wrong. And the ego kicks in and I, they crash and burn. So you need somebody who's going to be a voice of reason. You need somebody who can say, no, that's a stupid idea, Travis. Like, nah, don't do that, man. That's, that's dumb. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Cause everybody else at work told me it was a great idea. That's cause you pay them to tell you that it was a good idea. And, and even though you tell them, you know, not to, that's really what they're there for. So yeah, somebody who's done what you're trying to do, or even more than what you're trying to do makes a good mentor. And the mentors are out there. You just have to reach out on LinkedIn or reach out however you find them and just send them a message and and just tell them, you know, Hey, I admire you and I'm doing this and I want to do this. Would you spend a little bit of time mentoring me? I need a, you know, 20 minutes and I'll send you a $20 gift card to Starbucks. Like it doesn't take much, but it needs to be a fair and even exchange. And you need to be willing to give them some Thing for you know people who just kind of like booked themselves into my calendar thinking oh you're gonna be my mentor no fuck you dude like what do I get from that I don't, I'm not just sitting around mentoring people 24 seven like if you're gonna reach out to me and talk to me and ask me and offer me something not necessarily needing money but I do need something to make it a lot of even exchange fair exchange then yeah let's talk you know like I'm totally here for you and most of the people who I know who are successful are the same way they they would love to help They'd love to have mentees. You just got to ask. And what's something right now that you're excited about to be anything going on in your life? Uh, You know what I'm really excited about is breaking out beyond the ice wall and finding the outside lands beyond our known lands. I don't believe that we live on a round ball. I believe that it's uh, a little bit bigger. I believe there's about 178 other worlds out there that we can get to if we could just get past this ice wall that's being protected by all of the governments of the world. We're not really supposed to talk to it about it until I think it's 2040 when the next accord is up and that we can, or I think it's an accord. I probably butchered that word, but we're not supposed to talk about it for a while, but I I think that we should start the conversation soon. I'd love to get an icebreaker and, and go out and start looking to bust on through that ice and seeing the other outside lane lands and see what's out there. <laughs> Not the response I was expecting. <laughs> you didn't see that coming? Um, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> let me let me put something else. Uh, let me let me say something that most people would say. I am excited about no, I'm excited about busting through the ice and getting on the outside and going and seeing what's outside there. I'm excited to see what happens with this country. I think that we're in tough times and I think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. But when it gets better, we're all gonna be so pleased with what we find on the other side. And that keeps me going. I'm excited for the new generation of entrepreneurs who are going to create new products and new businesses, new livelihoods for families and individuals. I'm excited for all the charitable work and all of the giving back that the Gen Zs Zs are interested in. I'm stoked on the fact that we've built into business a charitable space very naturally. And it's, it's very much expected from brands to have a charitable arm. I, I love that. I'm excited to see more of that. 
And what's the daily non-negotiable that you do or a practice that you do every day, something you can't live without? Well, I I love to be in nature. I own a lot of nature and I, I love to go out and be in it. I love to leave my cell phone behind and not have it anywhere near me. And I love to go be out in the outdoors. I like to be away from people. I like to not talk to people. <laughs> you know, I need to recharge my batteries. I love, love, love talking to you and doing these podcasts. And I love talking to clients and I love doing business. And like, I'm addicted to it. I love doing business. I love, love, love business. Every business, but I also need to go be out by myself, walking the dogs, sitting on a, on the ground and meditating or just drinking water or smoking a joint out in the outback. Yeah. It's so nice to just sit on the grass and do nothing. Yeah. Just sit there. Yep. Yeah. 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 We need to spend more time looking up at the sky too. Like what's up there? What are we, what are we not seeing by not looking up? Yeah. yeah. I have a final question for you. So if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what would you want to tell him? Or if you want to tell him nothing, that's an option as well. <laughs> I think just listen to your instinct, Travis. Just do what you know is best. Always do the right thing and you'll be fine. Always start with the truth. Always start by doing the right thing. And if you have to pivot, pivot, but always start with the truth. Always start with doing the right thing. And anything else that comes along, you can deal with, but always start with the truth. Always start with doing good and and you'll be fine. I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. This is fun. It's nice that I get to say the word shit without apologizing for it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gladly, we gladly say that word all the time. So it's, it's, it's accepted here. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Travis Ross back on LinkedIn, R-O-S-B-A-C-H. Travis at Tumalo Group or info at Tumalo Group, T-U-M-A-L-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.